I've chosen this morning to speak to you about a topic I have never spoken in public about before. I've entitled the topic, the Bible study this morning, Vanishing Conscience. I actually stole the title from a Baptist pastor who wrote a book on the conscience and how God works through the conscience. And I must tell you that as I read this book, it lit me up. I have never read anything on this particular subject like this before. And I thought to myself as I read it and as it warmed my heart, I must share this with the brothers and sisters at Warunga. And so we are here today to look at this very important topic and I pray and hope that you are stirred just as I was when I first came in contact with this wonderful subject. I want to make a statement and I don't often start, I don't often start my sermons, my presentations like this, but I want to make a statement, two statements to start this discussion this morning. And the first one, and they, that both these statements encapsulate succinctly what I'm trying to share with you this morning. The first statement goes like this, and it was written by a Puritan in the 17th century Britain. It says, the, the conscience is the soul's automatic warning system. Do you like that? The conscience, and you all have one, this man says, is the soul's automatic warning system. Now I want you to keep that statement in your mind as we go through this Bible study this morning. Secondly, and sometimes it's easy to turn off when we're looking at statements, but I want you to concentrate and try to see what this particular author is saying. He says, an educated, sensitive conscience is God's monitor. It alerts us to the moral quality of what we do or plan to do. It forbids lawlessness or irresponsibility and it makes us feel guilt. Yes, it's not a bad thing to feel guilt sometime, no matter what our culture and our society and all the experts say out there. The conscience makes us feel guilt. It makes us feel shame and fear of the future retribution that it tells us we deserve when we have allowed ourselves to defy its restraints. Satan's strategy, look at this, this is, this is some statement. Satan's strategy is to corrupt, desensitise and if possible, kill our conscious. The, the relativism, the materialism, the narcissism, the secularism and the hedonism of today's Western world helped Satan mightily toward that goal. I hope you see what that statement's saying. And then this, he ends it like this, he says, his task, Satan's task, is made simpler by the way in which the world's moral weaknesses have been taken into the contemporary church. He was not a Seventh-day Adventist, the man who wrote that particular statement. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we open the Word and we look at how you work through our, our, our hearts, we, we pray that you will be with us, that you will 
drive us to an understanding of what you want to say to us as you convict us of sin and that we will leave this place wanting to hear your voice more clearly. So be here through your Holy Spirit now, I pray in your name. Amen. Heavy Anchor, it's an airline that is based out of Colombia, had a terrible crash with one of their planes in Spain in 1984. And when the investigators finally got the black box, they made a very eerie discovery. The synthesised voice in shrill tones from the plane's automatic warning system just two minutes before the plane crashed cried out in the cockpit, pull up, pull up, pull up. And the investigators, as they were listening to the tape on the black box, could hear this synthesised voice in its shrill tones crying for the pilots to pull up. And then to their horror... The investigators heard, they heard the pilot speaking in the cockpit to this warning voice say, and he said it clearly, shut up gringo. And he switched it off and they could hear on the tape the click as he switched that warning voice off. Two minutes later, that plane slammed into a mountain and killed everybody on board. It seems to me that our conscience is like that black box. As that opening statement said, it is the soul's, excuse me, it is the soul's warning system that warns us of sin. It is the soul's warning system that warns us that Satan is near. And in a world where we are constantly being bombarded with, with the need to do away with our conscience, to do away with the guilt and the shame and the fear that it brings, never was there a time when I believe we as Christians need to be listening to our conscience more than we do today. And today I want to do three things. I want to look at what is our conscience. I want to look at our response to the voice of a conscience And then I want to look at, and it's very interesting, can we trust our conscience? Now you will see I've handed you out sheets of paper. I would encourage you to fill them in as we go through this study and to take them home and let the Holy Spirit impact you with this message because it is a life-saving message. How you deal with the voice that speaks to your conscience in the end will determine whether or not you are in the kingdom or not. And to me anyway, a person who wants to live, a person who wants to be in the kingdom, there is no more important thing that I get a hold of than how God speaks to me through my conscience. So what is a conscience? That's a good question, isn't it? What is a conscience? Well, let me share with you what I found. Our conscience, firstly, is a gift from God. Without our conscience, it would be very difficult for God to reach us, to touch us, to tell us when we're about to do something wrong. So it is a wonderful, a beautiful gift from God. The last thing you want to do, let me tell you this morning, is to be crushing, is to be stomping on, is to be doing away with your conscience. Secondly, and we've already touched on this today, it is there to help us sense right from wrong. You know what it's like. Well, I know what it's like anyway. When you're contemplating doing something wrong. Now, maybe I'm a little different to most of you out there. I don't know. 
But it seems to me that at some stage or another in, in my week's activities, I'm, I'm really confronted by Satan with a temptation that I want to do and, 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 and I, I, I'm thinking about it and wondering whether it might be a good thing to do. And, and what happens? My conscience begins to speak to me. It's a Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. Hey, Lloyd. So, so the conscience, secondly, it is there to help us sense right from wrong. And lastly, and I found this interesting, and I want to make a comment here, even the heathen, those who have never heard of Jesus, have a conscience. Now, I thought about that. Even the pagans, even the heathen have a conscience. Am I right? Does the Bible back what I'm saying up? It does. The heathen have a conscience. I, now, now, it is a gift from God, this conscience. And one of the reasons I think it's such a great gift is because I don't believe that human beings, and I don't care where you're born, to what culture you're born into, I believe that God gifts no matter what cultural country you come from, do most of the people on the world today know that it's wrong to murder somebody? What if they've never seen the Bible? Do they still know that? The most cultures, most society, most people walking around on the planet today, do they know that it's wrong to commit adultery? Or do they know that it's wrong to steal? Well, if they don't have the Bible or the spirit of prophecy or any guidance or direction, where do they get it from? Could I put it to you this morning? That God gifts every human being who has ever lived with a conscience, with the imprint of his law on that conscience. And I say praise God this morning for that. Let me give you a text that backs up what I'm saying. Romans chapter 2 verse 14 and 15. You know this text. Many of you have read it many times. But let's look at it again. Some people naturally, some people naturally, did you see that? Some people naturally obey the law's commands even though they don't have the law. This proves that the conscience is like a law written on the what? The human heart. And it will show whether we are forgiven or condemned. Interesting, isn't it? I found it interesting. Almost everybody on the planet, almost everybody on the planet has no excuse in the end to go against their conscience. And yet so many of us do. I found this interesting. I went, now I don't normally do this because unlike Clifton, who is your associate pastor, your senior pastor is not a scholar. Clifton is a scholar. Did you know that? I'm not. I'm a studier of God's word. I'm not a scholar. I don't like reading scholarly books. I don't even like theological books too much. Is, is that something I should be saying from the front? I love the Bible and I read it twice every day or more. And so I'm blessed by that, but I'm not a scholar. It's not how God made me. But I did go looking when I, when I was preparing this talk for what the Hebrew word for conscience is. Do you know what it is? Well, you can see it. It's leb. This is usually translated as heart in the Old Testament. Did you know that? It's translated as heart. Now, with that in mind, now I want you to look at it again. The Hebrew word is what? And it's translated as what? Now, now, bearing that in mind, keep that in your head, let's look at these texts. You remember Pharaoh? The children of Israel, God had sent Moses, he said, let my people go, and Pharaoh hardened his what? Look at this. 
Bear in mind that the word leb for conscience in the Old Testament means what? Look at this. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, this is when the plagues were being uh, brought upon Egypt, and you remember that he would relent and he would say, yes, well then I will let Israel go, and then he would change his mind. That's the context. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. He hardened his what? His conscience. I hope you're not doing that today. He hardened his conscience and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Isn't that interesting? Pharaoh was not a studier of God's word. He was not a man of prayer. But God was talking to Pharaoh through his what? through his heart or through, according to the Bible, his conscience. I want to tell you this morning, God speaks to you, even when you are not following him, through your heart, through your conscience. Let's have a look at another text, Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 27. King Josiah, one of the good kings in the Old Testament. Oh, it's a sad story when you read the Old Testament kings of Israel. This one did evil, this one did evil, this one and that one did evil and there's a whole list but every now and again you've got a king and the Bible says, but he did what was right in the ways of the Lord. He walked in God's ways. He pulled down the high places. This is such a King Josiah. And when he came to the throne, Israel was in deep apostasy but Josiah listened to God as he spoke to him through his what? Look at this. This is God speaking to Josiah. Because your heart was responsive. Remember, we translate the the word there, heart is leb, which means what? Because your conscience was responsive, God says to Josiah, and you humbled yourself before God. Is your conscience responsive to God this morning? Are you humbling daily yourself before God, trying to hear him through your conscience because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Humble yourself. May your conscience be responsive to God and he will hear you. Great promise. Psalm 51.10, David has just committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uriah, one of his mighty men, one of his best friends, Uriah who had been with David as he was escaping from Saul, had been there from the beginning, one of the originals. And David steals his wife. You remember the prophet Nathan came to David. Now I want to tell you that when Nathan walked into the room and he told that story about the rich man and the poor man, that David's conscience was smitten. He was deeply convicted. Through Nathan he was hearing the voice of God and if you're in deep sin and you're being convicted today, and you feel guilt, and you feel shame, don't run from it. Praise God. He's calling you. He's talking to you. And He wants to forgive you. And that's what was happening here. And David, in anguish, feeling guilt and shame, sits down and he pens one of the most beautiful, beautiful chapters in the Bible. And in Psalm 51.10, as he talks to the Lord, he says, Create in me a pure heart. You know what he's saying? 
The word for heart there is led. He's saying, God, please create in me a pure conscience. Forgive me. Take the sin and the shame away. I am sorry. I am repentant. I turn from that sin. Oh, he was listening to his conscience and God was blessing him. What about our response to the conscience? Well, really, there are two responses you can have to your conscience. The first one is you can suppress it, you can ignore it, and you can overrule it. Now, I might get into trouble here by some experts in this church who perhaps are in this field, but I want to tell you that psychologists, psychiatrists, psychoanalysts, doctors, many of the experts, medical experts, whether it be of the mind or of the body, in the world today, not all of them, praise God, But many of them are telling people when they come to them, burdened down, their conscience is screaming out to them for for the sins that they are committing. Rather than dealing with the sin, they're telling the people, suppress it, ignore it, overrule it. And people have sins in their lives and their hearts that are burdening them down that they need to deal with before God. And they're they're being told to suppress their conscience, to overrule it. Don't, don't feel shame for what you're doing or guilt. Just suppress it, ignore it. Man, you've got to learn to overrule it. And it's a tragedy because people are dying out there, actually dying of guilty consciences. And it's a disaster when Jesus is there with his arms open. He's the one talking to you through your conscience saying, come to me. You are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Though your sins be like scarlet, he says, I will make them white as what? This is the Jesus we serve. Don't suppress your conscience. Don't ignore it and don't overrule it. Listen to it and act. Let's have a look at some scriptures. They give us examples in the Bible of people who suppress, ignore and overrule their consciences. Romans chapter 1. Speaking very firmly and clearly here, Paul says, Furthermore, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, since they did not think it worthwhile to allow God to speak to their consciences, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Look what the Bible says. You don't listen to your conscience. This is where you're headed. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, this sounds like the world I live in. Not about you, but this is the world I live in. We're living in a world full of people who are suppressing, ignoring, doing away with their conscience and this is where it leads you. Serious, serious stuff. They are slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless and ruthless. All oh, the Bible's very straight. Bible's very clear on where you're headed if you suppress, ignore or overrule your conscience. Although they know God's righteous decree, although God has been speaking to them through their conscience, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And I'll tell you, in a lawless world, that's crumbling, that is soon to end, this is what we're seeing. People out there who are ignoring, overruling, 
doing away with their conscience. They will not listen. And when you do away with your conscience, you are headed down a very serious path. You know that man in the plane, the pilot? Shut up, gringo. Too many of us are saying that to our conscience. Shut up, conscience. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I want to tell you when he switched that warning voice off, he was no safer. In fact, he was in greater danger because the warning voice was no longer there, but he still slammed into the mountain. And if you shut off your conscience, if you suppress it, if you ignore it, the mountain is still there. You will still crash into it. I would rather hear the warning signal. And I would rather pull up. I don't know about you this morning, I would rather miss the mountain. A couple of other texts that illustrate what it's like to do away with your conscience, to ignore it, to suppress it. To the pure, all things are pure. I hope that's how you are living this morning. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their what? Consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God. Oh, goodness, the writer here is talking about people who claim to know God. That's Christians. But their actions, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit to do anything good. Oh, I'll tell you what, I hope that doesn't describe me. I hope it doesn't describe you. But don't suppress your conscience. Don't do away with it. Don't overrule it. Listen to it. Of course, you know that eventually if you suppress your conscience and if you overrule it and if you tell it to shut up, then you see the human race getting into some amazingly detestable practices. I think of this man, Ted Bundy. Have you ever heard of him? He's a good looking fellow, isn't he? Well, I don't really know what good looking guys look like, but he looks pretty clean cut to me. Here's a man that suppressed his conscience. He shut it up. He ignored it. He did away with it. And he ended up murdering 40 women from 12 to 42 in the United States of America. And it happened because he suppressed, there's an interview he did just before he died, and he indicated this very clearly, that he suppressed, he ignored, and he overruled his conscience. I I think of the Holocaust. I am German. These are my people that I'm talking about now. How could the Germans, and I'm a part of them, how could we murder six million Jews? I was in Europe just a few years ago with some pastors. Uh, We make a lot of noise, pastors. Did you know that? Am I right, David? If you get with a bunch of pastors, what do they do? Talk. Talk the house down. And I was at the forefront of it, let me tell you. We had some conservative pastors and we had some liberal pastors and we went at it and it was great fun. I enjoyed it anyway. I could tell you some stories about that trip. But we went to Dachau. It's a German concentration camp. More than that, it's a death camp. Over 30,000 Christians, Jews, and all sorts of people died, were, were exterminated in Dachau. Most of them were shot. Very few of them in Dachau actually went to the gas chamber. But 30,000. Dachau existed from 1933 to 1945. There were 1,600 people crushed into 20 barracks. So in each barracks there were 1,600 people and it was built for 250. You get a feel of what's going on there. And when you study the Holocaust and you see the cruelty and the, the depraved, satanic inhumanity, 
There is no answer to how mankind can do that to one another, let alone an animal, than to say, here are people who have suppressed their conscience, they have ignored their conscience, and they have shut it up, shut up gringo, to the, to the point where, where the devil can move into their hearts, there is no warning voice, and they can do the most terrible, terrible things to humanity. You want to know what's going to happen at the end of time? There are two groups right now aligning themselves for the great battle between light and darkness. We talked about this a few minutes ago. Do you want to know something? That those who stand for Christ are people who have consciences that Jesus Christ can talk to and they hear him clearly. Is that not the group you want to be standing with? But there is another group and it is a larger group and it is increasing all the time in the world we live in which is why we see such wicked things happening. Wicked things. I don't understand some of the things that are happening out there in the world today. The murders, the rapes, the terrible inhumanity of soldiers to to civilians in war zones right around the world. Christian, Muslim, doesn't matter what they are. They're doing it. And this larger group And in the end it will be a group of people who don't know Jesus. It will be a large group. They are people who are continually suppressing, ignoring their consciences. And it allows, as they brutally shut that conscience up, it allows them to do the most heinous of crimes. And you want to pray that you're not a part of that group. Because it's a group that finally will be lost. So you can suppress You can ignore, you can overrule your conscience or secondly, you can listen and obey it. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. And this is my prayer for you. May God strengthen your what? Have you gone to sleep? It's not hot today so there's no excuse. May God strengthen your what? May he strengthen your heart or may he strengthen your conscience. Oh, I pray that for you this morning so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Oh, that is something that we should all be attaining to. I remember when I was at Avondale College. i never forget this as long as I live. It may not be a big story to you as you hear it, but it's a big thing to me. I, I, I don't know how I did it because I was really a model student at Avondale. I don't know why you don't believe that. <laughs> But somehow I, I got involved with a rough lot of boys who had firecrackers. I don't know how it happened. Well, yeah, I do, and it was fun. But there was a surfing comp, and we had on my floor some of these groovy surfing boys. Now, I actually never, ever had a surf until after I left college. And we had this view, and it was a wrong one, of course, because I love surfers now. We had this view that these surfers just thought they were great. They thought they were great with the women and everything else. And so we had some firecrackers. And so the night before their comp, as they all went to bed nice and early, because they had to be up at five o'clock to, to get out and surf in front of all their beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed looking girlfriends and show how great they were, we spent the whole night from about ten o'clock till four in the morning letting firecrackers off under their doors. And of course you had a bunch of guys turn up for the surf comp, bleary-eyed. We had one guy, he was our dean, he actually goes to Fox Valley Church now and I never forget to remind him of this one I've seen, perhaps that's why he doesn't come to Warunga. But I, he was our dean 
And he was so pumped up for this surfing comp and he was quite a good surfer. And I'll never forget the next day he comes home all gloomy with his face drawn and his eyes down. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, I went out in the first round. He said, I can't understand it. And I felt like saying, well, I understand it, brother. You had firecrackers underneath your door all night and I was the one who put them there. But I remember the dean, Pastor Gazik. Some of you might know him. And I'm talking about doing the right thing, listening to your conscience and God will talk to you in every situation in life. Praise God for that. And he calls me into his office and he said, Lloyd, I have reason to believe that you have firecrackers. Well, I'm brought up in an Adventist home. Never, ever underestimate, never underestimate the impact of being brought up in a Christian home. It's a beautiful thing and I praise God for it till the day I die that I have a mum and dad to this day who love Jesus and taught me how to love Jesus. Even when I wandered from Jesus, I had this conscience. And he calls me and he says, Lloyd, I believe you have firecrackers. Now you can imagine what's happening. My mind is working furiously. Of course I had firecrackers. I had an entire cupboard full of them for the next surfing comp. He says, I believe you have firecrackers. And I said, uh, well, uh, he said, now have you? He says, I've heard it on good authority, you've got them. Have you? And my conscience begins to work. Lloyd, it's better that you tell the truth. But not only God speaks to the conscience, who else? Come on, Lloyd, he will never know. How would he, you've got your room locked, you know it's locked, he can't get in it, you know it, there's not a chance he can know, deny it. And then I've got God talking to me, Lloyd, be a man of courage. You did the wrong thing. Stand up to it. Accept what's coming. Furiously. And, and this guy, the pastor, he must have been able to see the battle. Oh, I praise God that I listened to my conscience and God speaking that day. And finally I said, well, yes, Pastor Gazik, it's true. I do have firecrackers. And he said, I know. And he walked over to the corner and picked up a box and opened it up. And there's all my firecrackers. To this day, I don't know how he got into my room, but he got them and he he took them off me and so the next surfing comp was successful. But the Bible says, and let me go back to it, may he in every single area of your life strengthen your conscience so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy angels. That's important. Allow God inside you. Let him strengthen your conscience. Let him talk to you and and please, please listen to him. Well, finally today, I just want to look for a few minutes at can you trust your conscience? Oh, I almost feel like asking for a show of hands here. Maybe that's the teacher in me, I don't know. But I wonder, do you believe you can trust your conscience? I'm going to do it if you're game. I am. I'm not going to put my hand up. I'm just going to see what you say. How many of you believe you can trust your conscience? Let's see your hand. Hi. Hi, hi. I'm getting an idea. Okay, now let's be honest. How many believe that you can't trust your conscience? Hands high, right up high, I want to see. Oh, really? The answer to this question is a resounding no. And you'll say, well, just a minute, Lloyd, you've just done away with everything you've said. No, I haven't. Just hold with me. You cannot trust your conscience. You are fooling yourself if you think that you can trust your conscience. Why can't you trust your conscience? Well, number one, the conscience can be needlessly condemning. Did you know that? 
You can have an oversensitive conscience and it can condemn you when there's no need. And there's an example in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Paul's speaking and he speaks very, very clearly on this. This is a challenging area for Seventh-day Adventists. I personally don't struggle with it because I've come to grips with it. But we are challenged here. He says, but not everyone knows this. What don't they know? Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol and since their... What? Conscience is weak, it is, the food is defiled. You see what's happening? Food was being offered to idols. Some Christians were saying, I can't eat that food, it's been offered to idols. Paul says to the early Christian church, if you are feeling this, these are the people of Corinth, that you can't eat this food because it's offered to idols. And Paul always spoke in love, but he always spoke firmly. He said, oh, I'm telling you today, it is because your conscience is what? What is it? It is defiled, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Now, I thought long and hard about this and I'm looking for an example in modern day Adventism. Now, I've got to be careful here. I'm not against veganism. In fact, if you have a good look at me, you could say, well, Lord, you could be a, spend a bit more time being a vegan. And you'd probably be right, because I've never met a fat vegan, have you? And if you're a vegan, God bless you, because I believe you're probably where God has his ideal for his people. Did you hear me? I think that is his ideal. And I'm headed there, let me tell you. I'm pretty much a vegan. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. There's something I'm praying about. I don't drink milk. I eat very little cheese. And milk products just are not in my diet. I, I have a few eggs here and there. But I have heard in 20 years of ministry many people whose consciences are oversensitive. In fact, dare I say it, I've heard some Christian preachers get up the front and say that unless you allow God to lead you to veganism, you are not going where? To heaven. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to stand up the front and I'm going to say boldly, that's not true. You won't find that in the Bible. It's just not there. And, and is veganism a good thing? You better believe it. More of us should be into it. Well, some of us should be into it. And I want to tell you, though, that if you are convicted, that you must, I'm giving you an example here, just an example. If you're convicted on these sorts of things that have no basis in the Bible, then your conscience is weak and you can't trust it. Let me give you another example of not being able to trust your conscience. The conscience is moulded by our upbringing. Do you remember Martin Luther? It was his conscience that drove him onto his knees in that cold, dark cell with a flip, with a whip in his hand and he self-flagellated himself until the blood ran freely down his back. He was led there, make no mistake, go and read the story of Martin Luther. He was led there and he was a man of God in the end, a great champion, but he was led there by his conscience. The conscience is moulded by your upbringing. The conscience, oh, this is challenging. The conscience is educated by our culture and our society. Look at the culture you live in. Confront it. It is a wicked culture. When you look at the movies, 
that are coming out that Hollywood are giving us, full of violence and lust and depravity. It has an impact on our conscience. In fact, it deadens it. But it also educates us to accept this as being normal. If, if, if you have a look at the music that is thundering into the minds of our young people and, and some of us older ones, listen to what they're singing about. The filth and the immorality. It is educating our consciences. No, you cannot trust your conscience. You live in a wicked society, a society that, that Paul in the Bible and Second Timothy describes very graphically. He says, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. Brothers and sisters, you're living in the last days. Amen? In the last days, you're going to see Jesus come soon. He says, just before Jesus comes, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Sound familiar to a text we've already read? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. These are the people who are in control of the media of our world, who are having a large say in how the people of our world have their consciences educated. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but knowing its power, have nothing to do with them. You cannot trust your conscience for at least three reasons. Can our conscience then be ever trusted? I hope so. Or I'm in trouble and so are you. The answer to this question is emphatic yes. And if you don't listen to anything else as I close this sermon, you better listen to this now. You can trust your conscience. This is your call if you take the time to educate it. I was a builder. Sometimes in a house we'd be asked to put in a skylight. I never used to like to put skylights in. They're very difficult. Well, I found them very difficult to put in. They're quite intricate work and I don't have hands that that are good at intricate work. And so I would struggle putting skylights in, but I'd put them in. You know why you put a skylight in it? So let the light into a dark room. The skylight will work if it's open to the sun, but if you pull a tarp over it, it will not work. A blanket over it, it will not work. Your conscience is like a skylight. It needs to be open to Jesus. And when it's open to Jesus, it will work. But if you are suppressing it, if you are ignoring it, if you have pulled a blanket or a tarp over it, it will not work and you will be doomed. How do we educate our conscience? Most important thing I'll say today. I tell this to every single Bible study that I do and there's a lot of them sitting in this church today and they'll testify to this. You educate your conscience by number one, look at this. These commandments, talking about the Ten Commandments, Moses says that I've given to you today, this is God speaking, are to be upon your hearts. Impress these Ten Commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Is this your experience with the Ten Commandments? When you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, talk about the Ten Commandments. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. It doesn't mean walk around with a tablet on your hand and a tablet on your forehead or a parchment. It means may the commandments be in your forehead. May they be in your mind. May they be in your hands. May they be what you do. May they be one of the foundations that guide you in your life when you educate your conscience to know the Ten Commandments. And I'm asking you today, and I don't want you to put your hands up, but how many of you know the Ten Commandments off by heart? I tell my Bible studies, learn the Ten Commandments and I test them the next week. 
Do you know the Ten Commandments? Number one, do you know it? Number two, number three, number four, number five. What's the ninth commandment? What's the tenth? When you learn them, when they're in your mind and they're a part of your heart, then that is a foundation that God can use to educate your conscience. So when the devil comes to you to tempt you into sin, God will bring to your mind the commandments that are a part of your life. He will use them to talk to your conscience and you will escape the devil. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You can trust your conscience if the Ten Commandments are in your mind and in your heart and a good place to start is to go home this afternoon and learn them off by heart. It doesn't take long. Number one, what is it? What is it? Number two. No other gods before me. Number three. I hope you all know number four. It starts to get hard. Five, six, seven and eight, doesn't it? Number nine. What about number ten? Thou shalt not. Oh good, I can see some of you already got the commandments in your heart and in your mind. Look, you are Seventh-day Adventists, most of you. Others of you sitting out there, some on television, are Christians. The commandments are central to your lives. Learn them, have them in your heart, incorporate them into your life. You are educating your conscience and we need educated consciences if we're to go to the end of time and I'm running out of time. Secondly, spend time in the Bible. Oh, I've preached this over and over. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If you want an educated conscience as we face the end of time, not only do the commandments need to be part of your life, but the Bible, praise God, the Bible needs to be a part of your life. It needs to be a part of your heart. You need to be spending time in the Word every day with Jesus. And you know what you're doing if you spend time with Jesus? You know where I am? I'm in Numbers in the morning. Just started Numbers. I'm in Matthew in the evening. You know what it does? It educates my conscience. And so when the devil comes to me, The Lord impacts me deeply with what I've been studying in the Word or with His law and my conscience, praise God, cries out in thunderous tones. Uh, It's a wonderful study and I wish we had more time but we don't. Our conscience is a gift from God that tells us good from evil. We can choose to listen to our conscience or we can suppress, ignore it and overrule it. Our conscience will be a reliable guide if we take the time to educate it by knowing the Ten Commandments and spending time in the Bible. God will be able to talk to you clearly. And finally, the conscience is the soul's automatic warning system. I ask you as I finish this morning, is your conscience alive? Is your conscience educated? Is your conscience warning you? Is God able to speak to you through your conscience so you hear him clearly? I pray so. If it's not, do something about it. If it is, walk out of this church praising God. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. I thank you that you created inside each of us a conscience. Help us, Lord, through your grace and your wisdom to educate that conscience. May we be aware when the devil comes to visit us. May we be able to hear your voice and escape his snares. 
and Lord for every person that's come to worship in this church this morning. I pray that you will bless them, that you will be very near to them and on that great day when you return that each one will be ready to meet you with consciences pure and clear. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.